I'm Dan Permack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by United Health Group. Today is Monday, April 5th. Stocks are way up, oil prices are down, and we're focused on big business's push for Biden's infrastructure plan. President Biden's economic team hit the Sunday talk show circuit yesterday, promoting his $2 trillion-plus infrastructure plan, which would theoretically be paid for with corporate tax hikes. Senate Republicans also chimed in, basically saying the bill is currently a no-go for them because it goes beyond traditional infrastructure like roads and bridges and tunnels to also include things like electric vehicle charging stations and expanded home care for seniors. In other words, Biden's announcement last week was an opening move, a first ingredient in the sausage making. Caught in the middle here are some big businesses that have long advocated for this sort of robust infrastructure plan, one that updates the definition of infrastructure. Some of that support comes from companies actually involved in infrastructure construction, Uh, companies like Siemens USA, whose CEO Barbara Humpton in February wrote an open letter to President Biden in which she advocated for many of the things that ended up in his proposal. Some of the other corporate support comes from organizations that would benefit from things like better roads and airports, even if they're not directly involved in building infrastructure. But corporate America, led by groups like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, isn't nearly as excited about Biden's plan to pay for all of this by raising corporate taxes, thus putting U.S. business in an interesting middle ground between Democrats and Republicans. So we want to go deeper with Barbara Humpton of Siemens USA to get her thoughts on Biden's plan and what will actually come of it. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Barbara Humpton, president and CEO of Siemens USA. So, Barbara, President Biden lays out his infrastructure plan last week. Let's start big picture. Is it too much, too little or just right? (laughs) There is a lot in this package, but we're really excited to see that it goes beyond our classic bridges and tunnels. I mean, we know that we've got to deal as a nation with crumbling infrastructure. We've, We've had this on our agenda for quite some time. But what we're seeing in this new plan is the idea that we're building the infrastructure for the next century of American leadership. So the idea of being able to bring the physical world online and take advantage of the new technologies that are available to us now, this is a brilliant plan for being able to address the future we all want to create together. You refer to this as a brilliant plan, which makes me have to ask, did you have talks with the White House before the plan was released? We've been talking to all kinds of stakeholders about the things, the capabilities we can bring to infrastructure. And I'm hopeful that our voice is being heard because we have been essential in building the nation's infrastructure. You may know Siemens USA has served in the U.S. for over 160 years, and we've been part of every industrial revolution. We have the chance to help America really upgrade our infrastructure for the future. You know, obviously, Siemens USA is a privately held company. The federal government is the federal government. Uh, But the plan itself doesn't specifically talk about PPPs or or public-private partnerships, at least not in the way, for example, that the Trump administration had talked about it when talking about infrastructure. Why do you think they're not in there and should they be? Well, 
right now, obviously, we are all focused on assuring that what's envisioned here gets paid for. And what's proposed, of course, is, uh, you know, a whole new protocol in terms of how the government will, will step up and spend in order to accomplish these goals. But if you look at the grand total of things that need to be done, honestly, there's more work to be done than there is capability in the U.S. Treasury, in all the non-governmental organizations around the world combined, right? And so we actually look forward to seeing private investment rallied as well. And I'll give you some examples of things we've been doing in private investment and infrastructure. The energy transformation that's been going on now for a couple of decades has really taken advantage of energy as a service. The idea of energy savings performance contracts. These are healthy ways for private industry to invest, private capital to be mobilized to the benefit of all of us. And we're looking forward to seeing more avenues like that being established. One of the things in this bill that's gotten a lot of attention is this idea of kind of building out a network of electric vehicle charging stations throughout the country, kind of similar to what we have right now with with fuel stations. What's the argument for why the federal government should be spending money on that as opposed to private industry? For example, when gas stations first got rolled out, you know, know, nearly 100 years ago now. Yeah, the U.S. government paid for roads, but not for the gas stations themselves. Yeah, and we think there's going to be something similar that develops here. But the thing we've been advocating for is a national standard, an open standard, if you will, for charging stations. I mean, imagine how inconvenient it would be for all of us if we had to log into different systems as we move from city to city in order to buy our electricity to charge our vehicles. But you don't need billions and billions of dollars to create an open standard. That's that's a regulation, right? Well, true. And and we do see that it would be possible to get plenty of private investment in charging infrastructure as well if there were a national framework. But the idea of jumpstarting national access to charging stations through the intervention of the federal government can be really productive for getting that market started up. Barbara, the the plan to pay for this on the federal side is an increase to the corporate top marginal rate from 21 percent to 28 percent. Do you support that as the mechanism for which to pay for the spending? Well, what we support is spending on these things. And the the details of how that's going to be paid for obviously have to be worked out. We will absolutely use our voice as those details are worked out in Congress. But man, the thing we're focused on is what's the cost of doing nothing? If we fail to spend on infrastructure at this juncture, we miss a brilliant opportunity to actually create a future that is it's at our fingertips today, a future that has more sustainable technology in it that creates more equity for us as participants in the economy, a future that's healthier, quite frankly, with the spending that can be done in schools to implement new air purification systems, et cetera. So our main focus is on assuring that this moves forward and that we find the means to pay for it. Well, it, but the, obviously the White House has its means to pay for it. it. It's tricky, I know, for you because you run a corporation who would have to pay the higher rate. If that's the mechanism, which is what the White House is proposing and Democrats seem to support, will Siemens support that as the pay for? Well, of course, Siemens has always been a responsible citizen when it comes to paying our taxes. What we're actually voicing right now is we want to assure that whatever system is put in place encourages investment in the U.S. Siemens has invested over $40 billion in the U.S. over the last 15 years as we've built our, our business here. And what we're hoping is that the tax protocols that are put in place will actually 
be such that they encourage investment, especially investment in research and development, as we see this as a decade of creativity ahead of us when it comes to the Internet of Things, where we're so deeply involved. Last question on this, but to take your point, would an increase in the marginal rate to 28%, would that discourage investment in the U.S.? Um, I honestly, it depends on how it's implemented, right? I think what we're trying to accomplish overall is to assure that globally the U.S. is on an even footing with other countries, right? We've seen the, the, the companion proposal that other countries step up to a minimum basic rate as well. As long as we can assure that we are on a level playing field for the competition that's going on around the globe, we'll be in good standing. What's the reason that you believe that this plan has to be coming out on the federal level as opposed you obviously individual states have infrastructure is often viewed as a local or state issue, right? You know, the state or the town builds the bridge or, or fixes the road. Why, from your perspective, is this federal plan important? Well, the federal government, as we know, is here for our, let's call it our, our common defense, right? What is, what is the purpose? Uh, what we find is that in moments of disruption, creating a framework, a light framework in which others can operate is extremely powerful. Whether it was the roads and bridges of a century ago, the internet, interstate system of decades ago, or now the opportunity to create the new digital economy, there are real opportunities to create the conditions for overall economic growth. This is one such moment. You're no stranger to Washington, D.C. and politics. You've already seen kind of the, the partisan battle lines get, get drawn out a little bit here on this plan, and particularly on the Republican side, arguments that, that a lot of what's in Biden's plan isn't traditional infrastructure. And, and you've talked about a little bit this, you know, digitization, et cetera. How do you see this playing out politically? Oh, I actually do think that folks are going to come to the table and work together. And I'll tell you why. Yes, it's true. This is not traditional infrastructure, but we don't want to be building the infrastructure of the last century. We want to be building the infrastructure of the next century. That's good for our politicians, constituents all across the country. And what we've seen during the coronavirus pandemic is that digitalization actually gives us the opportunity to work from anywhere. And that's going to help small and medium communities all across the country. So I believe we're going to see plenty of folks coming to the table with good ideas about what needs to happen now. Barbara Humpton, president and CEO of Siemens USA. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the Supreme Court, which ruled for Google in its years-long copyright dispute with fellow Silicon Valley giant Oracle. Why it matters is that Google's victory could help ensure that different pieces of software will continue to be able to talk to one another, which is essential for all of those apps on your phone to work. Had Oracle won, some were concerned that such interoperability would have been threatened. The quick backstory here is that Google used a programming language called Java when it built its Android operating system back in the aughts. Java was created by a company that Oracle later bought, and then Oracle sued Google for using Java without permission and without compensation. Google replied that its actions fell under a fair use doctrine, which is what the Supreme Court today affirmed by a 6-2 ruling. The bottom line? Had Oracle won, developers might have needed to be much more limited in the types of code they could use, and some code that powers existing software might have needed to be scrapped. But now, there's no risk of you no longer being able to listen easily to these podcasts on your Android phone. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great national deep dish pizza day. And we'll 
back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.